listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. And I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. In this first season of Superpower Curiosity, we're talking all about divisions and how to get past them. Richard writes all about this in his book, It's a Frickin' Mess, How to Thrive in Divisive Times. For this episode, Reconnecting with Family and Friends, Richard reads an excerpt from It's a Frickin' Mess. Here's Richard. Reconnecting with Family and Friends A couple of years ago, I employed a carpenter, Al, to fix our house. On one occasion, while talking innocuously about the weather, I happened to mention something about global warming. Al raised his voice. It doesn't exist, he said. It's all a plot to control our freedom. Even though I'm a passionate believer in trying to protect our children's and grandchildren's environment from the damaging excesses of some human activities, I chose not to argue with this man in this moment. Firstly, based on the fieriness of his reaction, I thought that arguing about this would go nowhere. And secondly, I didn't want him to get distracted from the work he was doing on my house. A couple of weeks later, I was telling a friend, an avid ecologist, about this short conversation. Hearing that the builder in our house denied global warming, she asked me, quite forcefully, how could you possibly work with him? It so happened that I'd just given Al an unsolicited letter of appreciation, and I invited her to read it. Here's an excerpt. A big thank you, Al, for all the building work you've done over the last months. Yesterday, you walked across the mat on the deck and stopped to look at a corner of that mat that was turned over and could have been a trip hazard. You bent down, in the rain, to straighten the corner of the soaking wet mat and then continued on your way. I know you never told me about this. I just happened to see your act of kindness through my study window. So many people would not even have noticed the bent corner, or if they had noticed, would have walked right past. But not you, because you care. Thank you. You also cared about how you left the place each day. I have never encountered builders who left the place they work in so spotlessly clean. It felt to us that you cared for the place we lived in, and therefore we too felt cared for. It has been a pleasure to work with you, Al. If you ever need a reference for a client, ours will be a glowing one. Oh, I see, my friend said after reading my letter. I understand why you would want to employ someone like this. But how could it have been a pleasure to work with him? Didn't his denial of global warming bother you? No, I said. I already knew that a lot of people don't think global warming is real. I didn't focus on that. I focused on Al's goodness. The more I focused on his great qualities, the more I liked him. This then led into a conversation with my friend about the art of finding commonality with our fellow human beings. There was something else that Al taught me. A couple of months later, I happened to notice that Al had an old scar across his right hand. I asked him how he got it. Oh, that's from when I was a kid, he said. 
I begged my dad to let me have a penknife, and he finally gave me one. First time I used it, I didn't know what I was doing. Knife snapped shut on my fingers, and the blade went down to the bone. There was blood everywhere. Did you get stitches? I asked. No, I couldn't do that. If I told my dad what had happened, he would have beaten me bad. I just hid it and let it heal as best I could. Wow, sounds like your father was pretty tough. Yep, he was a hard man, very hard. Al paused and then added, perhaps with a little pride. So I learned to take care of myself. This anecdote from Al's past got me thinking. Might this kind of experience have contributed an element to his fierce independence? Which included a strong dislike and suspicion of even a hint of control from any outside agency, personal or governmental. Whether it did or not, Al's story also reminded me that we never truly know why people act as they do, what has befallen them, what their life experiences have been, and in what ways they may have done their best to cope with their own circumstances. Having this in mind is useful when we navigate strong differences of opinion, political or otherwise. There are several types of situation in which our navigational abilities might be tested. The rest of this chapter is about dealing with four of these. At work, with neighbours, with friends and family, and after an argument with anyone. At work. With colleagues and in most professional situations, where the focus is primarily on getting the job done rather than on making personal connections, it usually works out better to avoid discussing divisive political matters. And if someone in your workplace challenges you on political differences, evade without being aggressively evasive. Perhaps let him know, with a touch of light humour, combined with definitive intent, that you don't like to mix politics with work. You could tell her, if necessary, that one of the things you most value is the freedom of people to have differing opinions, and that you respect everyone's freedom of choice, whether others agree or not. In making this kind of statement, you're moving away from talking about that which divides to proffering a subject of commonality. She will probably agree in the value of freedom of choice. Meanwhile, you can privately and deliberately focus on what you have in common with the other and what you like about the other. Having this frame of mind helps harmonize a working relationship. With neighbors. Here's a true story involving two neighbours I'll call Patricia and Tom. Patricia voted Democrat, Tom Republican. Patricia, who enjoyed the natural world, went to see Tom, who she'd never met before, mostly because she wanted to see his pet turkey, who was a kind of minor celebrity in the local area. After a very brief introduction, Tom, perhaps thinking that Patricia might be liberal in her views, said, preemptively and with a tone of defiance, I'm a Republican. Oh, Patricia said warmly, it doesn't matter to me who you vote for. What I care about are people's hearts, and I can see your heart from the way you look after your place, 
and the love you have for your animals. Tom's defiance melted. They never discussed politics, and they spoke warmly to each other, sharing their mutual love of animals. Sometimes neighbours have a hard time with signs hammered into the lawn next door advertising candidates for election. If it's a candidate you heartily disapprove of, what do you do? The answer, of course, is nothing. You already know this, but what about the mental somethings that might be reverberating in your mind and guts, things like annoyance or judgment? Here are five mental actions you can take. 1. Remind yourself that we all have the right to hold our views and to vote in the way we choose. 2. Remind yourself that we all have the right to proclaim our views visually on our own land. 3. If you think you know why your neighbour voted the way they did, remind yourself that you probably do not. This is especially useful if your presumed reason has been a judgment like, because they're stupid. 4. Remind yourself that how your neighbours vote is a tiny fraction of everything they are and do, and that it is just a part of their complex histories, their wishes, their needs, their virtues, their values. 5. Remind yourself of your neighbours' good qualities. If you can't think of any, find some of the human values you have in common, as described in the last chapter. Family and friends. With family and friends, you may be more likely to want to maintain or refoster a personal connection. If there are divergent political opinions, there is a decision to be made. Do you think it is better to avoid political subjects altogether, or not? If opinions are very hot, or very cold, and you do decide to avoid the subject of politics, the next question is how? If you studiously avoid political discussion with no acknowledgement that both sides are doing this, it can be awkward, with the unacknowledged elephants and donkeys in the room making everyone feel uncomfortable with their covert trumpeting and braying. One way out of this is to have an agree-to-disagree truce. For example, look, I know we have different political opinions and I strongly believe in our rights to our own viewpoints. I'd like to suggest that we don't get into talking about politics. I really value your company and I don't want political disagreement to get in the way of our good family feeling. I'd like us to be able to agree to disagree and to have no bad feelings about each other having different viewpoints. What do you think of us having a moratorium on talk about politics, at least for now? If, on the other hand, you decide to talk about politics, here are six things you can do, or avoid doing, that might help prevent an all-out war. 1. Do not try to convince the other person of your point of view. Even if you are sure you are right, in fact, especially if you're sure you're right, this will not end positively. 2. Start by making a heartfelt connection. 
Focus on the commonalities you have already prepared in your mind in advance, and be sincere in your expression. 3. Listen to the other person's point of view with curiosity rather than judgment. And if you have judgment, it's okay, just don't express it. 4. Do everything in your power to find out about the other person's needs, wishes or values that are met by the position they support. What does it give them? What does it mean to them? Cultivate your own fascination with the answers to these questions. Be an explorer. Find out what is in it for them. Your genuine interest will create empathy and rapport. 5. If you truly want to build rapport, demonstrating that you hear this person's point of view is perhaps the most important thing you can do. For example, So, it sounds like you're saying that you're really scared that rising oceans might end up destroying coastal cities sometime this century, and that you want governments to do anything they can to prevent this. Stating the other person's point of view doesn't mean you agree or disagree. It lets them know you heard them. Another example. What I'm getting from what you said is that you feel angry about your living standards going down over the last 30 years. Your experience has been that no governments, Democrat or Republican, have addressed this. And so you wanted to vote for someone who would really rock the system. 6. Only if there is a good connection between you should you venture to bring in your own point of view. If your prime aim is to build rapport, you may not even need to do this. Sometimes, when there is good rapport, the other side may eventually ask you a question out of the interest and curiosity that you have just modelled. After an argument. How can you mend broken bridges between yourself and others after you've argued heatedly or distance yourself coldly over differing political affiliations? If you've had an argument with friends or family members and you're still experiencing lingering anger and you'd like to make contact again, perhaps even make amends, the exercise that follows can be very helpful. Exercise. Dissolve animosity after a disagreement. This exercise involves closing your eyes, so please do not do this exercise while driving. Make sure you have time alone in a space you feel comfortable in. If not required for emergency response, turn off all phones and other possible sources of electronic interruption. Sit in a comfortable chair and have a pen and a journal, notebook or paper to write on. Please pause the audio whenever you need more time. Okay. Close your eyes. Imagine you are with the person you had the disagreement with. Picture the scene from your point of view looking at this aggravating person in front of you. For about 20 seconds, imagine yourself arguing your point of view.
You can turn the audio off to do this. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to allow yourself to dissociate from your own point of view. To do this, imagine that you actually jump out of your own body, so to speak. Your body remains where it was, arguing away, while your mind's eye shifts to a new point of view. This new point of view is located just behind and above the shoulder of the person you are angry with. Take this position right now. Your mind's eye is behind and above the other person's shoulder, and you can see your body arguing away. Look over his or her shoulder and observe yourself arguing. You're actually seeing yourself from their point of view. What do you look like? What's it like to see yourself from the other's point of view? Be aware of how you look and what it feels like to listen to you. You can pause the audio as you do this. After you have seen and felt this other person's point of view, take this other perspective with you as you allow yourself to return gently to your own body within the scene. Now, open your eyes. Write down what came up for you. How did you look from the other person's point of view? What happened for you? How do you feel? Once you experience what it is like to see yourself from the other person's point of view, there may come a moment when you sense a shift, perhaps a softening or an inkling of surprise at what you look like and what you project when you are angry or tense. A man who did this exercise told me, when I was in my own body, I thought I was absolutely right. I didn't just think it, I knew it. I could not understand how it was even possible that she did not agree with me. When I jumped out of my body and looked over her shoulder, I saw myself standing there being pretty aggressive. And from her perspective, I didn't want to listen to what this person, I mean myself, was saying. No one would have wanted to listen to a person talking like I was. I was critical, disdainful, pretty arrogant. Afterward, my judgments about her seemed to have melted away. I feel quite tender toward her. In this exercise, you manipulate yourself, literally, into a 180-degree shift in your point of view. When you deliberately position yourself to see what you look like from the other person's perspective, you are almost instantly aligning yourself with the other person. You're seeing with this person rather than at or against this person. Seeing with someone else, sharing their point of view, is an act of empathy. And empathy dissolves discord. The reason for writing down what happened for you is that this helps to strengthen your shift of perspective. And it helps you to remember it later. When we're angry, 
it isn't easy to remember that any point of view other than our own is even possible. So, we need all the help we can get to remember that there is another way of seeing the world. By writing down the shift and the positive effect it had on you, you are helping to ingrain the pathway to putting yourself into someone else's shoes in the future. After doing this exercise, and before meeting family or friends who have uncomfortable differences of opinion, there is another piece of internal work that you can do. It is to focus your mind on the positive attributes of the other person. Think of the qualities you like in this other person. And if you can't, for the moment, think of anything you like about them, focus on what you have in common. Remind yourself that you share the same basic human wishes, needs and values as in the last chapter. In this way, your focus shifts from the splintering of differing ideas to the warm heart of your mutual humanity. Thanks for listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette. Episode 20 is coming out in two weeks, so subscribe now so you don't miss it. Tune in to hear Richard speak on the amazing richness of personal choice. Richard's inbox is always open. Email superpowercuriosity at gmail.com with any questions or comments about the podcast or curiosities you have about the world. Till next time, stay curious.